Good morning and thank you for joining us. My name is Michelle Waitley and I'm the Specialised Business Bank Executive for Commercial Real Estate. It's with great pleasure that I welcome you to our economics update this morning. Well, we're certainly living in an interesting time. We've actually had a strong property market over the past 12 months, which wasn't expected when COVID first hit last year. And so many of you have kept us very busy with lots of activity and opportunities as we continue to progress developments and purchase new assets. And I'd like to take the opportunity to thank you for your business. With so much of the country now in lockdown and potentially prolonged lockdowns, we thought it was really important to get our property customers together to provide you with an economic update and share what we're seeing. We're very lucky to have Tabby Strickland join us this morning. He's a senior economist with the NAB, and he's going to provide some insights, and we'll also have time for questions at the end. We hope you find the session informative and interesting. I'm going to pass over to Kane Perry. Kane is our Victorian market strategic dealer, who will be known to many of you, and he's going to get things started for us. So thank you, and over to you, Kane. Thanks, Michelle. Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Kane Perry, as Michelle said. I'm a uh, chief dealer from NAB Financial Markets, working with property clients within Victoria, where I manage their interest rate risk. So, and, and thank you very much for making the time to attend today's teleconference. So, shortly you'll hear from Tavis Strickland, who is the Director of Economics at NAB. He'll provide an update on economic outlook and what the next steps in the economic recovery might look like. We'll have time for question and answers at the end of uh, Tavis's presentation. At the bottom of your screen, you should see a Q&A button, and that Q&A button uh, will allow you to ask questions. It's got a specific challenge, um, asking the curliest question as you can, I think is what, what he said in the, in the pre-meeting. So go for your life. Um, the more questions, the better. We'll, we'll certainly have time to, to get through the majority of them, and the ones that we don't, we'll follow up with at a later, later date. So a little over 12 months ago, uh, we held a similar seminar, uh, webinar, um, just after the RBA cut rates to 0.1%. Yield curve control um, had just been um, put into place and RBA enacted its first ever tranche of quantitative easing. At the time, um, it, was, it was pretty bleak and not many could have foreseen the, the strength of the economic rebound, both domestically and locally and globally from that time. But over the time, um, last few weeks, however, the emergence of Delta variant and COVID-19 has increased the risk of that recovery that we've, we've seen. So we've seen a pullback in, in long-term rates and a fair bit of uncertainty there. So to elaborate on that, we're really lucky today to have Tabby Strickland with us. So um, you might have heard him on the morning call that the NAB economics team puts out. Um, he's got extensive experience working for the Department of Prime Minister Cabinet as well as the RBA. So Tabis, to just to explain in uh, further detail the path of where we've got to now and what we can expect in the future, I'd like to introduce Tabby Strickland. Thanks, Tabis. Uh, thanks, Kane, and thank you, Michelle, and good morning, everyone. Just give me, uh, bear with me for one second, I'll just share my screen. Uh, so as, as Kane was saying, a very um, uncertain time at the moment, and uh, we have been under a pretty good wicket, you have to say, over the past uh, six months or so, just given how low rates are, people can't really spend money outside of Australia, so uh, the domestic economy was, was coming along quite nicely. Uh, but obviously the emergence of the Delta outbreak has postponed uh, some of that recovery. Uh, but we're still confident that once we do roll out those vaccines, get to the 70 to 80% vaccination rate targets that we need to start to transition to living with the virus, 
that uh, 2022 is going to be a very strong year indeed. So while there is a lot of pessimism at, at the moment, uh, there is a very strong light at the end of this tunnel. And I know for some of you that may be hard to see, but um, I'm very confident that uh, the Australian economy will bounce back quite aggressively once we do reach those, those targets. We start to start to live uh, with, with, with this virus. Uh, in terms of um, the Australian view of the very short run, um, I think the really interesting one, particularly in terms of commercial real estate, is where population growth goes from here. And uh, the government is expecting that once we can get to those vaccination hurdles, that we can start to ease up on those international border restrictions and that will get population growth returning again. So that would be quite an important driver in terms of commercial real estate market. As, as Kane was saying, the outlook for markets is very mixed. So the Australian vaccination rollout has lagged the rest of the world. And so what you're actually starting to see, central banks elsewhere um, starting to talk about normalising policies. So the US Fed is talking about whether it will start to taper its asset purchases. Uh, and if it does that at an upcoming meeting, then that raises the possibility of the US Fed raising rates in the second half of next year. The RBNZ across the Tasman um, was all set to raise rates uh, yesterday, uh, but obviously they've had a Delta outbreak. But importantly, the RBNZ has said that they want to start lifting rates as, as soon as possible once that outbreak is under control. So rates globally um, are looking like they may start to rise. Uh, in Australia, though, um, we've got really subdued wage growth and the RBA is still relatively confident in its view that it won't raise rates until 2024. But importantly, if other central banks start to lift rates, then that will also start to lift longer term market rates. So while the RBA may be on hold until 2024, uh, market rates will likely lift on the back of other central banks hiking rates. And I think that's an interesting feature that will play out over the next uh, six months or to 12 months. Uh, the pandemic has also led to quite an acceleration in a lot of the changes, um, and this is particularly relevant for the commercial real estate sector, uh, particularly in regards to online shopping. Um, so online shopping in, in Australia is around 14 to 15% of total retail sales, and prior to the pandemic, it was, it was sitting more around that 6 to 8% level. So the online penetration ratio in Australia has absolutely surged. If you read the AFR today, you would have um, seen an article by Coles, and they noted that their online sales amongst their supermarkets now makes up around 6% of total sales, and that's up from 3.8% uh, prior to the pandemic. Um, so quite an acceleration in the online space, and that's led to unprecedented demand in industrial properties. So NAB surveys uh, the commercial real estate sector, a variety of participants, and the industrial property space uh, is the most positive in terms of commercial real estate sector at the moment. And a lot of that is driven by that acceleration in the online space there. Uh, in terms of markets more broadly, uh, NAB thinks the RBA uh, probably won't hike until early 2024, but we do see the risk of an earlier um, hike in the second half of uh, 2023 if the rebound uh, does occur quite, quite aggressively. And uh, there are signs that that should occur as well. Uh, the Australian dollar at the moment isn't looking very pretty and you'd have to say the downsides are, are probably uh, there in the short run. But with the rollout of vaccines, we're still relatively confident that the Australian dollar can lift from here. Uh, before I uh, pass on into more of the commercial real estate sector and the Australian economy, I think it's good to get a good handle in terms of how the vaccine rollout is going from here, because that would be the key uh, ingredient in terms of Australia starting to transition to living with the virus and easing the use of lockdown. Um, so we all know that Australia's vaccination rate has lagged the rest of the world. And because of that, we've been looking quite closely at the experience of the UK and Israel 
uh, in what the other side of the pandemic may actually start to look like and how Australia can actually start to transition to living with the virus. So the experience from the UK and Israel is that vaccination works. Uh, and these two charts here show you new daily cases in the UK and Israel against uh, those people in, in hospital and against those uh, who unfortunately die due to COVID-19. Uh, in the UK, we can see that there's been a clear break in the link between new cases and those in hospital. And that's because in the UK, they've almost fully vaccinated about 77 to 78% of their adult population. So the vaccines are providing a very high level of protection uh, for, for those people. And the people that are showing up in hospital tend to be the unvaccinated people. So the experience of the UK and Israel is giving us confidence that we can start to transition to living with the virus. Uh, in that earlier chart, you would have seen a pickup in hospitalizations in Israel. Uh, and uh, we've been looking into this. And what we've seen is that the pickup in the hospitalization rate in Israel is coming from the unvaccinated people. So um, Israel has fully vaccinated uh, around 80% of its adult population, but that remaining 20% of the adult population is responsible for that rise in hospitalization. And uh, through the Australian experience, we can see that we get to the 80% vaccination hurdle by mid-November, uh, but then we'll have to start having a discussion. What do we do about those people who don't want to get vaccinated and who will unfortunately end up some of them with severe cases of COVID and who unfortunately die. And that is a conversation that we will have to have as a society uh, more towards the end of the year there. On the government's modelling, um, once we do get to that 80% full vaccine, uh, so the 80% adult vaccination rate, we can still expect to have about two to 3,000 deaths due to those people who are unvaccinated there. So uh, a key, so what we'll be looking at quite closely in terms of government is a key change in the language uh, in regards to that. Uh, in terms of how the vaccination rollout is going at the moment, um, it's broadly following what we had been projecting back in July, uh, in that we think it's quite feasible that we get to full, uh, sorry, we, we get to 80% adult vaccination by the middle of November, uh, and that we get to that 70% adult vaccination rate by the end of October. And uh, the 70% vaccination hurdle is for less use of lockdown, and the 80% adult vaccination rate is for very little use of, of, of lockdowns and for some gradual reopening of the international border. So the other side of the pandemic is within sight due to vaccines, but we will have to start to change some of the conversation in the way we talk and report uh, cases, of course. Um, for those of you who are in um, many different states on the call, um, this chart here just shows you when those key vaccination hurdles could be reached according to the different states. Now, the Australian government and the states have taken a unified approach that uh, once we get to that 70% rate, then we'll ease up on those um, use of lockdowns. And once we get to 80%, then there'll be very little use of uh, hard lockdowns. Uh, but importantly, just because there's going to be different rates when um, different states get to those levels, um, it's likely interstate border restrictions may be in play for a little bit longer than many people are thinking. And the two that I just wanted to point out here is New South Wales. So New South Wales, we think, can get to 80% um, vaccination by the middle of November. But in Queensland, it may not occur until the middle of December at current vaccination rates. Um, so you can fully conceive that interstate border restrictions may be in place, um, perhaps until the end of the year, until all states get to the 70 to 80% level. Um, so I think that's a, a key takeaway that I was looking at when I was looking at the data. 
Uh, and then in terms of vaccine hesitancy in Australia, um, it's relatively low. Um, around 14% of people don't want to get vaccinated. Um, so if you do the flip side of that, that's 86% of people who want to get vaccinated or who are unsure whether to get vaccinated or, or not. And so I think it, we should be relatively confident that we can hit those 70 to 80% um, um, hurdles in terms of vaccination. And then in terms of what society may look like when you get to that 80% uh, phase. Um, so that's phase C in the Australian vaccination um, transition plan. Uh, and uh, just to give you some example, I've just put in red there. Um, so uh, no lockdown. So Australian governments have broadly agreed to that once we get to the 80% vaccination um, hurdle. We abolish caps on returning vaccinated travellers um, and we lift all restrictions on outbound travel for vaccinated persons. Um, so we can start thinking about opening up, reopening up that international border once we get to the 80% full vaccination level. Uh, the government currently has penciled in that we reopen international borders by the middle of 2022. Uh, and so that is looking more likely just given uh, how the vaccination rollout is extending. Um, and then I touched on this point earlier, but even with 80% full adult vaccination, you're still gonna end up with a number of deaths due to COVID-19. Uh, this chart here is from the Doherty Institute and uh, it just shows you uh, different rates of vaccine coverage and the different results that we would have. Um, at 80% adult vaccination, you're still getting deaths of around 2,300 on most of the modelling. Uh, but importantly, two thirds of those deaths are due to unvaccinated people. Um, so we definitely do have to have a conversation about how we treat unvaccinated people um, if they are still going to fall ill and if some of them are unfortunately going to die due to COVID-19. Um, of course, that could motivate people to get vaccinated as, as well. So obviously the, those number of deaths will drop down as more people get vaccinated. Uh, in terms of global markets at, at the moment, everyone is really looking at inflation. And I think this chart sums it up really well. So this chart here is uh, the level of inflation minus where central banks want inflation to be in a number of different countries. So core inflation in the United States is running 1.5 percentage points above their target. In New Zealand, it's running 0.2 percentage points above their target. So it's no surprise there why the US and New Zealand are making the soundings that they're going to start to think about tightening policy. Uh, in, in New Zealand, they're looking at tightening policy, you'd have to say relatively aggressively uh, at upcoming meetings. And in the US, they're thinking about tapering asset purchases, and that would open up the possibility of rate hikes in the second half of 2022. Uh, in Australia, in contrast, inflation is running about a four percentage point below the RBA's two to three percent target band. And so that's the key reason why the RBA doesn't think it's gonna need to raise rates until um, 2024. Um, in terms of what is going on with inflation, so I think these two charts sum that story up really well. So during the pandemic or the height of the pandemic and during lockdowns, there was a lot of concentrated spending in many areas of the economy. Um, so one of them, for example, is, is housing and building construction. Um, so a lot of people were doing home renovations, a lot of people deciding to move to the suburbs and, and, and build houses and uh, lumber prices in the US absolutely went ballistic. So a lot of people were talking about all this inflationary pressure due to all this acceleration in activity. Uh, but then what we have seen is that once that demand was satiated, once people had renovated their, their, their houses enough, you actually saw the price of lumber fall. Uh, in contrast, um, the global supply chain disruptions due to COVID-19 continue. And uh, one of China's largest ports 
was put into partial lockdown only recently. As a consequence, freight rates still remain relatively elevated. And uh, a lot of the retailers that I talk to in the corporate space are saying that they're seeing unprecedented price rises due to freight rates. And for some components, it costs more to freight it than it does that they would actually get in terms of selling it. Um, so I think that is a really interesting dynamic. So I, I think the kind of story on the inflation isn't quite settled yet. Um, we can definitely see those kind of trends tree elements, um, but we're also seeing those supply chain disruptions continue as well. So there could be a little bit more inflation in, in the pipeline than what central banks are thinking. In terms of how markets are assessing the inflation profile, uh, the inflation swap curve, um, so just where markets think inflation will be in say one to two to 12 to 14 years time is, is inverted, uh, so downward sloping in the US. So that suggests markets are expecting inflation pressures to dissipate um, over, um, over time. Uh, in contrast, in, in Australia, um, we don't really get to the RBA to the, within that two to 3% uh, target range in a meaningful way uh, for a number of years, according to um, those inflation swaps. Um, so while the US and the RBNZ and a number of other central banks are thinking about hiking rates, uh, markets are also thinking maybe the peak in the level of rates will be a little bit lower than it was prior to the pandemic. And some of the reasons is because of the amount of debt that has occurred um, or has accumulated during the pandemic. So maybe rates can't rise as much as, as previously there. And so markets are pricing that rates will rise, but maybe they won't rise as high as they were prior. Um, so in the US, for example, um, one proxy of longer term rates is uh, the five year, one year in OIS um, board swap. And that's currently trading around 1.4 to 1.5%. And that's seen as some kind of terminal rate in the US. Um, our own analysis in, in Australia is um, in order, sorry, a lifting rates to about 1.75 to 2% would bring up debt servicing costs in line with its long on average levels. Um, so that's basically what we're seeing, probably the kind of uh, peak or the neutral rate in Australia is at, at the moment is hovering around that 1.75 to, to 2% level. And then the other interesting dynamic that's, that's been playing out and that may suggest rates may be a little bit lower um, than in prior cycles, is that, is that population growth has slowed during the pandemic. Now this chart here just shows you US population growth and US population growth is the slowest since 1920. Um, so, it does suggest that there has been some flowing in some of the more fundamental components of economic activity out there. Um, so in terms of bond yields, uh, we still expect yields to rise as central banks start to hike rates. Uh, and importantly, that hiking cycle will be probably led by the RBNZ, um, by Norway, and then followed up by the US. Um, Australia is likely to lag that hiking cycle somewhat, but importantly, Australian rates and Australian um, market pricing will be um, shifted around by what's going on internationally. Uh, in terms of what market's pricing in Australia, um, so market's pricing in uh, three to four rate hikes within three years. And that's against the RBA's guidance of no change until at least 2024. So markets are still pricing in the chance that the RBA will be forced to hike rates before 2024. Um, in terms of what NAD is thinking, uh, we think that that's probably about right, but there is still that risk that they will hike rates in the second half of 2023. And we also expect the first rate hike to be 50 basis points. Um, and so that's partly because there's just so much cash in the system uh, that in order to get the actual traded cash rate up to that 25 basis point level, we're likely to need a 50 basis point uh, rate hike by the RBA. But that's more of a necessary thing, but just worth noting that markets are pricing in a higher cash rate from here. 
So in terms of the Australian economy, uh, it meant, uh, just prior to the lot. Just prior to the lockdowns, um, there was unprecedented labour demand right across Australia. And the level of job ads in Australia was actually about 42% above pre-pandemic levels. So absolutely immense amount of labour demand. One way to show that is just to show you um, thick job ads uh, inverted and map that against the unemployment rate. And that was all suggesting the unemployment rate was going to fall down to that 4% level in a very short period of time. And so we think coming out of the lockdowns, we think activity will rebound and the unemployment rate will be going back down towards that way. Um, so we see a temporary spike in the unemployment rate to 5.6 from 4.9, but we see the unemployment rate back down to 4.4% by the end of 2022. Um, and uh, that probably gets uh, wages pressure and inflation repressures up enough uh, to see the RBA thinking about the need to hike rates in the second half of 2023 and more likely to hike rates in early 2024. Um, in terms of the inflation profile in Australia, still relatively subdued, you would have to say. Uh, the RBA thinks inflation will get back to its 2 to 3% band by the end of 2023. And so that's the reason why we say there's a risk that they would hike in the second half of 2023 uh, and that um, inflation would be well within the band in 2024. Um, so moving more closely to the commercial real estate sector, um, coming out of lockdown, I think it's useful to think about how quickly does life get back to some kind of normality. And this chart here is a chart of CBD building office occupancy rates across the number of different cities in Australia. And uh, just the bars are different points in time. So the darkest bar, the blue bar, is at July 2020. So just as we're coming out of the height of the pandemic uh, last year. Uh, and the yellow is uh, just prior to the most recent lockdowns in May 2021. And uh, from that, it took a good eight to nine months to get office occupancy rates to what they were just prior to the most immediate lockdown. Um, so it, it could take some time uh, for that drift back into capital cities and for office occupancy rates to start to lift. In terms of how high office occupancy rates may actually lift in the end, um, if you look at Hobart and Darwin, it's a very small CBDs obviously, but two cities that haven't really been impacted too much by the whole COVID-19. And um, you'd have to say office occupancy rates could get back to a relatively high level um, on the basis of that. Uh, in terms of the kind of fundamental changes that may occur in the commercial real estate sector, um, I was talking earlier about the rise of online retail. And uh, the latest data that we have is non-food retail in Australia makes up around 14% um, of sales, um, sorry, Online non-food retail makes up about 40% of total non-food retail, and that reached a peak of above 20% during the height of the pandemic last year. Uh, what is interesting though, is when you just eyeball the trend of that, you can clearly see how the trend has accelerated in the online penetration take up. Uh, I was speaking to a number of people within the kind of retail sector at a corporate level, and they said the amount of change that has occurred due to the pandemic is probably equivalent to what would have happened over a five to seven year space. Um, so a massive acceleration. Um, in terms of um, food retail, I think this is a really interesting one, particularly for the anchor kind of tenants in those big kind of suburban malls, um, particularly in regards to supermarkets. So food online now is 5% in total, and just prior to the pandemic was about 2.5% online for food. So lockdowns has seen more people become more used to shopping online for food and groceries. So I think that is an interesting development. And uh, there's a number of different anecdotes out there from Woolies and from Coles uh, investing in those kind of logistical 
facilities in order to accelerate the kind of online food space. And then the question is, for the big kind of supermarket layouts, what happens to those kind of areas? Do they reduce in size? Um, do they kind of get re-formatted? And do those um, coles and woolies start to transition more to those kind of smaller metro kind of supermarket uh, stores within the kind of inner capital cities? Um, so I think that's an interesting development and really worth, worth watching. In terms of the broader commercial property space, uh, NAB does a survey each quarter, um, and we released this uh, just yesterday, actually. Uh, and uh, each quarter we asked um, a number of people within the commercial property space, from developers to, um, to CBRE and those kind of guys, about what kind of conditions they're seeing in this space. Um, so in terms of capital value expectations, um, within the next 12 months, not many people seeing much in the way of capital values rising in the office and retail space. And I guess those headwinds I was talking about before, about taking time for people to drift back to offices and just given that rise in online retail uh, is probably one of those reasons. On the other hand, uh, industrial property is expected to be expected to remain strong. Uh, and the key fundamental driver is that rise of online shopping. Um, so you need a lot of logistical facilities to help facilitate that. Um, and also um, some notion that some kind of retailers and some manufacturers as well are holding high inventory levels in Australia just due to all the supply chain disruptions that we have seen over the past one and a half years. Uh, that capital value expectation is also being reflected in rental expectations. So over the next 12 months, uh, the people that we survey expect uh, rental um, so gross rentals for retail to fall 2.2% and for offices to fall by 1.3%. But in contrast, uh, rental expectations for industrial property are still very strong. So they expect it to rise by 2.1%. Uh, and it's just really fascinating just how strong industrial property has been over the past uh, two years and that most people within the industry expect that strength as well. Uh, in terms of supply conditions, and I think this is kind of reflective of both what people expect in terms of capital values and in terms of rental um, expectations, is that most people still think industrial property is somewhat un undersupplied. Um, and I think that is going back to that kind of more, more, more retailers kind of pivoting more towards that um, online space. Uh, in contrast, uh, most people think the office market at the moment is somewhat oversupplied and no surprises there, obviously, with a lot of people working from home, including myself. Um, and in terms of retail space as well, being uh, somewhat um, oversupplied as well. And uh, I, I think the retail uh, space is gonna be really interesting to, to watch. And a lot of different larger shopping centers have tried to pivot more towards the uh, services space, more towards the experience space in order to um, overcome the rise of online retail. Uh, in terms of the key risks to the outlook, and I'll probably just conclude with this slide, um, just given, um, my, my base case is that we see a very strong rebound in economic activity uh, and uh, that we get to the 70 to 80 percent vaccination levels by uh, the middle of November. So very positive uh, kind of outlook. In terms of the risks around that, um, the three risks I would really have to say is that you get some kind of virus mutation and that renders vaccines less effective. Now that's a power risk and no one can really ascribe any probability to that, but that is a risk um, out there. Uh, the second one, and I was talking about this rise in inflation, particularly in the kind of freight area. A key risk that I see to the outlook is that, that the rising inflation proves not to be temporary and that actually starts to lift longer term market yields 
more sharply, and that could see equity markets weaken. So to me, that would be one of the key risks um, out there. Um, the third one would be a firm who have extrapolated the current levels of activity and make decisions that aren't really sustainable as activity levels start to normalise. And um, some kind of anyway, coming out of the most recent profit reporting season was a number of electronic retailers who had ordered a whole heap of kit um, and have had to be forced to discount basically in order to clear some of that from their entry level. Um, so I think that's really interesting. And I think um, not only do you have to plan for what's happening now, but also think about how activities will normalise and how the world will look post pandemic. And the last one, and no one can describe any probabilities to this, is the political tensions around China and Taiwan and China and the US and the potential for that to escalate. Um, that's probably the biggest risk for uh, Australia, just given how dependent China, oh, sorry, how dependent we are on China and how uh, China is dependent on us for iron ore as well. Um, that's always been a risk. It's never been realised. Um, and so just remains out there in the background as well. Uh, to conclude, I'm very positive about the outlook. Uh, I think where we were just prior to the lockdown was in a very, very good, good position. Um, low, low rates, while they may rise, are likely to remain relatively low um, over the next uh, couple of years. And so that should ensure a pretty swift recovery coming out of the pandemic. And I think the lesson from prior crisis that policymakers have um, kind of mulled over is that you don't want to withdraw stimulus too, too early. Um, so I think the federal government and the RBA will keep um, a degree of stimulus within the pipeline in order to ensure that the recovery that we do see as we go into 2022 uh, builds. Um, so uh, I'll we'll leave it there, pass it back over to Michelle and Kane, and uh, very happy to um, answer your questions and thank you again for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Tapas. Very, very well done, very informative. Um, so just a reminder, we've got the Q&A button at the bottom. I've got a few questions coming through. So if you've got any uh, questions, anything you want to ask at all about economy, vaccines, what's going on domestically, globally, feel free to, to shoot them through. So just a couple which are which are coming through. Um, so Tavis, you mentioned briefly, the RBA still has a, a relatively bullish uh, view of the economy um, and, and seeing where things are going. And, and I guess going back to what we've seen over the last 12 months, you know, that we've continually seen, um, you know, the RBA have to revise, RBA have to revise up their, their forecasts over that time. And, and you, you spoke about, you know, the risks that we're, we're seeing from inflation. Um, you know, so what is the real thinking behind RBA's view of terms of, like, well, it's got the Delta variant now. After this point in time, why are we going to see such a, a rapid response or a good recovery from, from this, from these lockdowns? Yeah, sure. That's a very, very good, good question. Um, so I think there are two components there. So why, why would we expect a rapid rebound and why does the RBA think inflation is going to remain relatively subdued even within that rapid rebound? So in terms of the rapid rebound, um, um, household and business balance sheets are still in relatively good position just prior to the lockdown. Um, so the accumulated savings since the pandemic amongst households um, is equivalent to about 10% of annual household income. Um, so households are sitting on a massive cash pile um, and that cash pile is um, could be distributed through the economy in many different ways. So they obviously could, could, could spend it, they could um, continue to save it, um, they could put it into financial assets, they could put it into property assets. And I think in some respects, you're definitely seeing those flows into financial and into property assets. 
Um, but either, either way, you haven't really seen too much uh, scarring uh, within the household sector. Um, unemployment just prior to the most recent lockdowns is at 4.9%, and that is its lowest level since uh, December 2010. So uh, the recovery that we did see uh, was very, very strong, and uh, we don't really see any reason why the recovery out of current lockdowns wouldn't be as equally as strong. Uh, in terms of why uh, the RBA still thinks, even with a very strong recovery, inflation is relatively subdued, it comes back down to wages growth. Um, so, uh, Wages growth in Australia um, hasn't really gotten back to the kind of pre-2013 levels. So pre-2013, wages growth in a normal sense was running at about 3%. Um, and uh, since 2014, wages growth has been averaging, say, about 2 to 2.5%. Two so basically, wages growth hasn't been enough in order to have inflation sustainably within that 2 to 3% target. Uh, many of the conversations that I, I was having just prior to the most recent lockdowns, particularly in Queensland, was about a massive shortage of, of labour uh, and that they were actually having to pay up for a number of different specialist skills um, that they may have been able to um, cover through um, getting workers from overseas. So whether that was through 457 visas or those kind of things. Uh, and so there was, just prior to the most recent lockdown, some thought that maybe wages might be starting to accelerate just given those water restrictions were impacting on the labour market. But in the RBA's view, they don't really see wages growth getting up to that 3% level until uh, the unemployment rate gets down towards that 4% level. Fantastic. No, thanks. Thanks, Tabas. Um, a couple of things. So US um, is likely to taper its bond purchasing program this year, they've, they've said that, and Biden's last stimulus program is, is likely to go as well. Do you have a view in terms of how that might impact Australia, both short-term and long-term rates as well? Yeah, sure. So uh, I guess in terms of the taper announcement, um, so once they start to taper, uh, markets will be looking exactly what form of that tapering takes in order to have some kind of guide when they would start to raise rates. Um, so I think once they start to taper, markets will start saying, well, maybe there's a probability that they hike rates a couple of times in the second half of 2022. Um, so you can definitely start to see short-term rates in the US start to rise on the back of that. And then people will start to be asking about, well, how high do rates rise? Um, so some of the charts I was showing to you before is markets at the moment don't expect rates to rise by all, all that much. With some of those longer-term kind of proxies for where the Fed funds rate might get to being around 1.4 to 1.5%. Um, but I think markets will start talking about that and whether rates will actually be higher than that. Just given when you look at where the US Fed officials say their kind of medium term rate is, they, they still think it's at 2.5%. And yet markets are saying it's at 1.5%. So there's still quite a divergence there. So that could lead to um, high yields in, in that environment. And, and would that manifest itself into longer term yields moving first if, if it was to get to that point, or how does that usually work in the recovery? Oh yes, yeah, yes, yeah. So yeah, so that yeah, so that should lead to um, slightly higher yields in the US. Uh, but importantly, because of Australia, because the RBA has said they're not lifting rates at least um, not lifting rates until 2024, then that has the potential to steepen up our yield curve. Uh, quite a lot, because our longer term rates definitely move off what's going on in the US. So that has the potential to lift up those rates between that kind of three to 10 year space. Yeah. Um, but the yield, but sorry, 
the rates within the kind of one to three space will be still kind of coming off what is going off in terms of the RBA. But I think markets will also be thinking, well, if the Fed is raising rates, the Kiwis are raising rates, when does Australia start to raise rates? So I think markets will continue to price um, a few rate hikes within that one to three year space, uh, just given the risk around inflation that you're talking about, Kane. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Um, so I guess we've got uh, a lot of discussion around shipping and how that might impact on goods and inflation, things like that. Are we seeing that in the inflation numbers now? And does that take into account some of the, the expectations that we're, we're seeing going forward? Yeah, that's a very good, good question. And uh, we're definitely picking up in the NAB business survey that um, retailers are having to um, both pay high costs and are now starting to pass that on as well. Um, in terms of what's being reflected in the CPI though, we haven't really seen um, a large degree of those pricing pressures coming through. And a, a key reason is, is that um, is that those goods make up a relatively small share of the whole CPI basket because the CPI is your whole, whole consumption. It includes everything from uh, rent to insurance to dining out, all, that, all those kind of things. And there's a number of different government subsidies that have been washing through uh, those kind of components, um, particularly the home builder grant, uh, and, that's act and that's actually registered as a price decline in terms of the CPI. So it's being washed out, but we are definitely picking up within our survey that retailers are experiencing higher costs, particularly due to freight. Yeah, fantastic. Um, so another one uh, has asked, how's the forecast altered if one of the risks raised that you, you spoke about, namely you know, mutation of the virus eventuate? Um, so that they've pointed out in Israel where the majority of the population is vaccinated, yet hospitalisations of vaccinated continue to rise. So obviously there's a, there's a risk around the view going forward yeah. around that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I guess that just remains a, a, a tower risk. And um, if, if we got more information that starts to lean that way, then obviously markets would start to price in that kind of event. Um, the, the reaction, though, I don't think will be as year as we saw back in um, back in early 2020 and the key reason for that is the ability to research and produce vaccines is just so much greater now um, particularly in the mRNA space and if you think about how quickly a vaccine was developed from February to I think they started injecting it into arms in November um, so within a space of 10 months you had a effective vaccine uh, Prior to that, it took about 15 years uh, in order to develop a vaccine. And so when markets sold off quite aggressively back in early 2020, that's the kind of scenario that they were thinking of. It was going to take ages to get a vaccine. Instead, it took 10, 10 months. Now, I'm not an epidemiologist, and I don't know that much about vaccines, but I think from a market's perspective, I think they will think, well, if it took 10 months to create a vaccine, then maybe it only takes another 10 months to create a vaccine this specific virus mutation. So you may not get as large sell-off as you did before, but I think policy will remain very easy in that environment as well. Yeah, great. Um, and it wouldn't be a, uh, you know, a property webinar, property bent webinar without talking about demographics. So one of the questions is domestically, what's the view on residential property and demand acknowledging the absence of international migration? And secondly, do you think domestic interstate migration will continue? Um, uh, yes, definitely for, in, definitely for interstate migration. Um, so there's definitely 
both both interstate and intrastate as well. So I think that move to the regional areas will still continue to some extent, particularly just given the kind of working from home kind of environment that we have, and particularly for those kind of regional areas that are located within three hours of the capital city, uh, I think they will remain really, really attractive from the residential space. Um, if if uh, capital city office workers can work uh, in the office three days a week and can work from home two days a week, then I think there's going to be a very big pool and a high degree of attractiveness for those places. So areas like the Sunshine Coast, um, so just out, just one and a half hours or outside of Brisbane, just depending on where you live on the Sunshine Coast, obviously, um, is a perfect candidate for for that. Um, so I think you'll definitely get that kind of interstate as well, as well as interstate. Uh, in terms of population growth, the various different segments. Um, yes, yeah, so we have closing international borders, um, but when we do get to that 80% vaccination threshold, then the, then the conversation will start to shift. When can we start to reopen those international borders? And I think that will be really interesting to see how, how that plays out. Uh, the current government guidance is that um, we'll reopen those international borders uh, by the middle of next year. And then that could facilitate um, a recovery in population growth through migration. And what we, are, what we um, have seen from the government's forecast projections is that they're still wanting to run a fairly high migration uh, strategy. So we're likely to get back to very high rates of population growth once this pandemic is over. But until then, um, obviously demand for those very inner city uh, uh, apartments is just not what they used to be. And that's particularly in Melbourne and, and, and in Sydney. And instead, uh, most of the dynamics are being played out by, um, by, by upgraders. Um, and so you're seeing a lot of shift towards the suburbs um, a lot of moves towards downsizing, and then you're also seeing that kind of regional push as well. Excellent. No, great, great summary there, Tabas. Thank you. Um, so, just one question that we do a couple of passes. The first one is sort of the real, um, there's a few questions that people hearing within the media about uh, the real interest rate or the real cash rate. Um, just explain sort of very briefly why that's important, because I guess where we're sitting at the moment, we've got a negative real cash rate and how that might play out into the into the coming years. Yeah, yep, sure. So um, just to give you some background, obviously uh, a nominal cash rate is basically what we have at the moment. And then you take away the rate of inflation and that's what the real cash rate is. Um, in terms of the implications for that, um, most people think that, that longer term rates are probably sitting around a real kind of neutral level of, of zero. Uh, and so that would suggest that if you have a zero real rate, um, then you add on inflation, which is between two to three percent, and then maybe the kind of neutral rate is sitting around two to two and a half percent. Oh, sorry, between two to three, three percent. And so that can kind of give you some estimate for how high rates may need to go in any given cycle. Yep, fantastic. Um, and, and the other part is so the initial cash rate of one seventy five to two percent with a you know, higher high debt loading globally. Um, do you, do you see then being the neutral cash rate of one point seven five to two percent that you're talking about? You know, seeing things go higher or lower than that, how much is the, the debt loading that we've taken on going to play bearing on that? I uh, guess yeah, so I think it'll be quite important. Um, and if you just do a chart of the 10-year government bond yield over the past 30 years, you can clearly see that downward trend. And um, 
one one of the factors that people cite for that downward trend is just the rise in leverage that has occurred uh, in the economy. And uh, that 1.75 to 2% figure that I quoted uh, in terms of where rates may get to is just basically the amount of rates would need to rise in order to get household debt servicing costs back to their long and average levels. So that's what some people may describe as some kind of neutral rate. Um, if you've got an inflation outbreak, then obviously rates would have to go above that in order to control um, the amount of inflation. Uh, in contrast, if you saw very little inflation, um, then um, rates may have to be lower, and that may also indicate that the neutral rate might be lower than that 1.75 to 2% level there. Excellent. And uh, just the, the very last question I think has come in is sort of longer term forecast for sort of, you know, five to, to 10 year rates, sort of what, what's NAB's forecast at the moment? Uh, so I, I won't give a specific uh, spot forecast on the five to 10 year swap rates, uh, but what I will say is that um, those rates will move more in sync with what's going on internationally than what's going on in Australia. Um, so if uh, the US Fed does start to hike rates, um, in the second half of next year, and if the rest of the world starts to normalise policy, then you expect those rates would would, would lift. Yep. Excellent. Um, sorry, just one more coming, and then we'll, we'll we'll close it up. But um, so one thing is now the term funding facility is finished uh, with, with with banks. How's that likely to impact funding costs within Australia? Uh, yes, but with the end of the term funding facility, then uh, the major banks will. Uh, have to start to raise uh, funding from offshore markets. Um, and obviously the cost of that funding will be higher than the cost of the funding from the term funding facility. Um, I don't sit on, in terms of the bank, I don't sit in those areas that um, look after pricing. So I can't really give too much of a guidance there, but uh, in terms of uh, bank funding costs, then those funding costs would rise. Um, and you have to assume a degree of that would, a, a degree of that may or may not be be passed on. No, fantastic. No, thanks. Thanks, Tavis. Really appreciate your time there. And thanks everyone for the questions. Those who haven't got to will um, certainly follow up at a, at a later date. Um, so just one final comment from me just around where we sit. So, you know, and, and what I see in my, um, my work is that you know, every, every business views risk differently. So, you know, and I guess we've spoken a fair bit about today that risks to it, you know, whether the, the, the vaccine's going to be um, efficient or not, or whether you know, we're going to see the transitory inflation that we're seeing in the US be permanent. So there's plenty of risk out there and everyone manages risk differently. So just, to, just as an example, um, our larger property uh, players, so listed REITs, um, have really low leverage in the balance sheet, but they tend to hedge 80, 80% of the interest rate risk for an average term of five years, just to try and take out that risk in terms of what their, um, their returns will be. And like I said, every business will view that differently. So I guess on, on that side of things, being the, um, the, the property webinar that it is, so we have to have markets dealers in each state who uh, can work with your business to try and minimise that volatility and talk more about the themes that the Tabas has spoken to today. So if you'd like to like know more and, and how you can put a risk management plan with your, your business or to talk more specifically about the, the market, reach out to your, your local banker and they can put you in charge with the the NAB markets dealer in your state. So there's the equivalent of me in, uh, in every other state that we've got more than willing to spend some time with your business. So once again, I'd just like to thank you very much for your, your time coming uh, in today at Tapas and um, thank you for everyone attending. Uh, Michelle, we'll add some closing remarks. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Kane, And thanks, Tapas, for your presentation. There was some really interesting things 
spikes, particularly around the impact of vaccination rates. And also really good to hear such a positive outlook. Thanks also for some great questions from our audience. I, I think we managed a couple of curly ones there. I hope the session's been thought-provoking for you and will help you plan your business. I'd ask that you please stay in touch with your bankers. We really want to know how you're going. We want to understand the impact of COVID on you and your business and how we can support you. And, of course, we're always excited to assist you with any new opportunities that you have. Um, we are absolutely open to business. Thank you for your time this morning. Please stay safe um, and bye for now.